So, again, returning, recollecting practice of sati, mindfulness. Mm. So this is a kind of a, now quite a common reference point uh, in all sorts of areas of life, people to sharpen their attention or calm down a bit. Yeah. In sports, in offices, even in the army. You know. So it's kind of steadying and coming to the present, which is admirable. But in uh, but <laughs> it has to uh, move a little bit beyond that. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps it does for people. Because the, just the fact of kind of pausing and gathering oneself into the present does uh, linger in it. You begin to sense you know, the, what's moving in the heart. Yeah. Anxieties or agitations or pressures or irritations or you know, whatever. You know. And... Uh, then certainly one can kind of stabilise, but then really unpacking and unfolding that, because the primary aim is to um, purify the heart, or to clear these turbulences and grievances and blind spots, numb patches, scar tissue, that kind of happens. You know, just uh, just by being in an environment that is punching things around quite a bit, you know, constant input, the sense world, sensory consciousness, including mental consciousness, is pretty uh, intense. It's kind of uh, stimulation. Pressure, noise, hurry, business, competition, aggression, uh, which we see manifest. So this is just emotionally very taxing to 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 bear with. And does take energy. Um, so I've been suggesting one of the rationales, if we need a rationale, talk about that terms of cultivation is to. Refresh, replenish, strengthen the heart, our sensitivity, so we don't just numb out and barge through life or insensitive or you know, feel shredded by what's happening. Mm. And you know, again, in, in the Cultivation, this jitta, this is that which is liberated from the defilements and the asawa, these inner turbulences of, um, you know, getting wound up by consciousness, by what sights, sounds, thoughts bring in, and the, and the searching for meaning and purpose and fruition in that. Uh, or the fruition in some kind of territory or state of identity, the becoming our so well. Mm-hmm. Which is often what's kind of presented to us in the, not in those terms, but in the mainstream, you know. Get some money, get nice clothes, place to live, pleasant restaurant, you know, fixed job, become famous, you know, I think, this is ideal. <laughs> um, but it's far from ideal, it doesn't really address the increasing, I call it mental health issues, anxiety, fear, depression, and all kinds of psychological imbalances, because really, that's, that's the point. There's not these things are necessarily, you know, evil, but just they're not they're not meeting the needs that we have as human beings. In fact, they are 
depleting us, they're draining us. The race to get all that solid and together depletes us. And the constantly, you know, the being mesmerized by those prospects is ignorance, is it? Taking us away from real purpose in our lives. A purpose that aging and death will present us. That was pretty useless, wasn't it? <coughs> Unless you, not to say you're ignoring the world, but can we come into the world with a sense of bringing integrity into it, into value into it, and um, kindness and courage and steadfastness and moral integrity into it? Yeah. But where, where do you get your resources from? How do you apply that? No, so this is really just kind of pragmatic. This is recognition of the need to cultivate. So how sati, mindfulness, got to do with that? Well, it's not just about focusing your attention on a particular thing, which and steadying it, which is, yeah, fair enough. Mm. But also about creating a, a frame, a reference, which is reliable and steady, within which you can, there can be a listening to and attending to and a uh, replenishing and a support. And this is actually in very, very kind of um, brief and sometimes cryptic terms. This actually is um, outlined in the Satipatthana teachings. So, for example, when the Buddha recommends mindfulness, he tells this bhikkhu, when your virtue is pure and your views are straight, then you establish sati in three ways, internally, externally and both together. And you establish it, you place that practice, that process of the experience of your body, experience of feeling, being touched, being affected, experience of citta, that which is affected and touched and moved, and on the phenomena that well up for good and for bad as you do that. So this remind us, you know, this this uh, we're starting with something a little bit deeper than just placing attention. In your virtue is pure, your views are straight, mm-hmm. and maybe if we're honest about it. Sometimes that isn't the case, but okay, let's get it together, you know. <laughs> And really look into that, get that straightened out. And what is it? Virtues, it's harmlessness, conscience and concern. One is sensitive, one is responsible, one is aware of how one affects others, one is aware of uh, living up to the best and in integrity in yourself, non abusiveness, non covetousness, not taking what isn't appropriate and so forth. You can find your own ways, it's outlined in those precept forms. Mm-hmm. But in beyond, or the precepts being like markers, flags on a territory, just the flags are there on that territory. So you don't just look at the flag, you look at the territory. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you can get away you just get into moralising and you know exactly what the detail of harming living creatures is. Does that include moss or algae or you know like well 
we just wait a minute, let's back off, lift, lift, lift from the text and get into where you feel a sense of integrity and conscience and concern. Mm. It means that really you're entering from a point position, which is focusing on a particular point, because this, that, the other, trying to explain it, entering the field, the field effect, the heart operates in terms of fields, the field of integrity opens up. It's a field effect, do you see what I mean? I haven't got anything particular in detail, just the whole sense is I am tuned in to that quality of conscience and concern, responsibility, integrity, sensitivity. Right. So a point is when we look at a particular, what is exactly harming mean, what does, you know, taking that which is not given, what exactly does that mean, and you're looking at a particular point. But that point is useful, provided that it does, you know, direct you to the whole field of integrity. And what is wrong speech? Again, really, be a big topic. How do you say things that are not agreeable, that are not really truthful, are not agreeable? Uh, the Buddha says, well, the Tathagata knows when's the time the right time, the right place, the things that are true and not agreeable. He knows the time. <laughs> it's not like blammo, this is a fact. No, it's just, no, we're not, it's not, we're not ready yet to talk this through. A place where that's respecting, it has to be a field of listening and, and shared conscience. And that's very much the case in, um, you know, in a, Training. If somebody has an issue with a monk or something, they say, venerable, respectful, do you see this? No, 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 wait a minute. But what about this and this? You know, it asks you to remember. It's called sativinia. It asks you to recollect yourself. And you realize, yeah, I was a bit blurred and hasty, you know, come to think of it. Yeah, right, okay. End of issue, you know. Because you want to use these training rules to sort of, not to be dominated by a lawyer, but to actually remind us of our, of our love, of truth and, and purity, and that these blurring, confusing, impulsive habits do take over, and I want to, I want to know about that. It's not a defense attack situation, it's a do you remember? Bring it to mind. The field of integrity, because this is your dwelling place. If you live here, you'll be okay. If you don't, you're in danger. You're in danger of regret, you're in danger of careless actions and so forth. We want to live in that field. Mm. So your views are straight. Your view is there are causes and conditions that are conducive to one's welfare and the welfare of others. And the Buddha again was quite clear on that. Not just for my welfare, not just for other people's welfare, but when those two come together, now I feel confident that's the right line. Conditions, not self, not you or me. Yeah. It's not you got it right and I got it wrong, you know, no, we're conditions. So we're looking at what conditions are arising. Um, is there trust, for example? Is there ease? Is there clarity? And what conditions, what actions of speech and mental intention support that? When do we get harsh? When do we get manipulative? When do we get, you know, these blemishes, stingy, you know, uncooperative? intolerant, petty, uh, or when do we really, those are uncomfortable, unwholesome conditions, 
mm-hmm. vengefulness, backbiting. See, there's, there's no any of that. You don't want to support that. And particularly when you're entering this uh, territory of cultivation, because then you really, <laughs> you know, the effects become clear, evident. You know, if one's views are you know, distorted, you get the results. Because then when you cultivate through sati and through holding that frame of reference, you do enter the heart, you become conscious aware of what's going on at depth levels. Otherwise there's no point practicing. Well, at some point, but the real depth practice, you don't want to go to those places of you know, where things are a bit edgy. Mm-hmm. With the right attitude. This is a cause and conditions. It's not you or me. It's not my fault, your fault, or this or the other. We're not using the language of a normal waking consciousness, which is past, present, future, you, me, this, that. In the heart, those don't exist. It's just that which is arising. And you've got to handle it with the kind of steadiness and clarity and kindness you know, to, to recognize these dhammas and smooth clean them out clean them mm. then you even that, that attitude in mind maybe it's not you haven't resulted, accomplished it yet but that's what you're doing you want to know about it. And so it's not, I've got great mindfulness, I'm really fo- focused and concentrated, da, 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 da. and I can't practice mindfulness. Like, you, know, oh, you know, there's a lot of self-view in that. Mm. And then of course there's conditions of struggle, conditions of uncertainty, conditions of eagerness, enthusiasm. Let's hold the field, a field of mind, with all these different creatures roaming around in it, rising and passing. Just this. And the basic, you know, uh, faith that there is, it, you know, kind of really, uh, kind of, quite, quite tremendous when you're recognizing is the jitta gets obscured by ignorance. But it doesn't mean it's ignorant. There's a knowing in there. Yeah, the blankets get pulled over, get hoodwinked, get distorted, but those are effects. And that's part of the language. It sees the jitter affected by passion, by aversion, by confusion. Jitter affected by it knowing this. Just that, that not intellectually knowing, but bearing presence, bearing awareness with this. And the sense that comes through is you're waiting, what do you do about it? Well, you, that's what you're doing. <laughs> you're holding that reference with a quality of sati and jitta can begin to kind of shake, shake itself out of this cloud, it's like it throws the blankets off. It's, it's a healing system. We don't want to suffer. But the fact is, a lot of the time, we don't really, nothing, don't go deep enough to understand what, what generates the pressures and the sorrows in our lives. And Buddha said, this is a very straight way this is the direct, undeviating way for the ending of sorrow, pain, lamentation, grief, and despair. 
the purification of beings, the realization of Nibbana. That's a pretty heartful statement. You know, dukkha is not just some metaphysical sense of confusion, it's actually sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. And that's what you think, just want to clear that. And it can be done. That these effects that, that sweep over and stir the jitta can be stepped out of. The jitta can kind of wake up from that. It can pull itself out of the flood. As it will do. Because if we really get in touch with that, it's like, you know, You know, if a person's drowning in water, you don't have to tell them, pull yourself out. If they get their foot on the, anywhere they possibly can, they will do. <laughs> if they can get hold of anything to pull themselves out, they will do. You don't have to ask them to do it. It's a natural thing that the wish for, <coughs> wish for the ending of that pressure and confusion. There's a kind of self-healing system when we get to that depth of sati, which enables us to, to reveal some of the, not just the temporary issues of the day, but what particular issues come up. How come we don't get affected by this and the other? But these ones really disturb me. Looking into those disturbance patterns. Uh, can there be awakening to that? And the knowing, the jitta then becomes the knowing of that. The knowing stands, doesn't feed the hindrance. The hindrance begins to abate. Just like if you're flapping around in water, you stop doing it, the water settles down. Pull your hand out, end of that. Now, of course, this is a beautiful possibility, but, uh, you know, that sense of, of depth, penetration, is, uh, you know, requires some coaching and some sources, some resources. and recognizing the field. So it's internal, external. Mm. You know, and we look in the, uh, this is presented in, there's a kind of refrain that occurs in the um, Satipatthana Sangyutta, uh, the collection of, of discourses on the Satipatthana teachings, and also in a couple of other longer suttas. Uh, and it's never really expounded as to what these means, ajata bahida. Um, but it's also a term that's used to refer to consciousness, it's ex- ajata, internal, external. Um, Sights, internal, external. The internal visual consciousness is external, is the sense of seeing objects, internal is the propensity to see. You know, kind of a, kind of a visual organ, and it sees things. Mm. Mm. So we come to the sense of what, how the body experiences that. Well, the body can experience, you know, touch that happens to it, external, and then a sense of being a sensitive body which is the internal aspect, right? where you get not just physical tactile pinging from outside or coolness, but you're also getting the, you know, the stress or the pressures or the agitation within the nervous system, put it in everyday life terms. Mm.
then we'd come to so then you know, then you're opening the whole field of that of that experience of what bodies are affected by. Yeah. And how external effects you know, cold can make you agitated. Or you can just sense it there. I was doing some walking meditation cold weather and shaved head you feel this kind of experience happening on the scalp and I stopped calling it cold I just felt it a sensation and I could visualise it like a kind of something cat scratching my head or something like that you know it's just the twirls of sensation taking away the word cold or whatever that's in the internal agitation wasn't there. Internal, the cold, oh, brr, where's my hat? I've left, I've left my hat somewhere. Oh, when am I going to go to get my hat? That internal agitation, it didn't go internally. It's just it's cold. There's that sensations occurring. Mm-hmm. And the body can deal with it. Don't do it shivering or whatever it does. Mm-hmm. Internally, one remains unflustered. We come to the uh, so the feeling, sati mindfulness of feeling, being affected, that that surge or that trembling. That's the experience of feeling, isn't it? Mm. Suddenly, this contact happens. The immediate sense is, oh, if it's not that doesn't happen. No feeling. You don't you don't have contact. In, in the contemplative sense, contact occurs when something is that, oh, and that's called feeling, vedana. Yeah. So it's not, it's very basic. That by, it's, the verb vedana means that by which one is able to know something. Like veda, the Indian term veda was the knowledges four Vedas, so Vedana is that one which enables you to have not intellectual knowledge but direct experience knowledge, that moved me and it can move you in terms of pleasure or pain, agreeable or disagreeable you just notice being affected that shifting and you realise perhaps happening if there's any contact at all that happens Otherwise, there's no nothing. Otherwise, no contact. It could be very subtle, and then it becomes really quite. When you begin to sense that, you know, it generates <coughs> that the awareness of that generates some real sensitivity. Mm. But also some dispassion. It's, it's that movement again, you know. And you're not particularly interested in having in having a lot of it, <laughs> because it's just the movement again. Where it go? If it produces skillful states, fine. But it's just that movement. Stimulation, you don't really interestingly with a lot more of that. Because what does it do? It just the whole system shudders a bit, trembles a bit. And then there we go again. <laughs> you know? And this is really important, I th- in my opinion, because it's actually the you know, in general people are quite hooked on, on feeling. Let's go to the 
you know, kind of a dance or something, listen to music, um, because it feels good. Yeah, okay. And then? But that, that movement can become quite addictive, so you get, uh, and is fed. So as I was mentioning the other day, I was, when I was in London, just walking on the street, and everything is, jump, is poking, poking at you. Not just the traffic lights flashing, the buzzers bleeping, every sign is poking at you, everything is advertising something, give me, look at this, buy one of these, what's this, get interested in this. Like, you know, like, get out. <laughs> Let me, I want to just walk my walk. I don't want all stuff dumping itself to get me going. I don't, I'm already going. I don't need, I don't need cooking, you know, I'm ready already, you know. And that, uh, you know, this is the norm, you know, to, to saturate, but it's called vibrant. I don't want to be vibrating. Even with, even with agreeable things, it's not necessarily, you know, uh, painful, but just the, the constantly vibranting is, after all, just a bit stressful. And, uh, you know, we say external feeling, it's feeling based on the situation you're in. You know, a lot of sounds and sights and things going on, then definitely triggers things and of course internally you get ideas and feelings come up moods you get agitated around and more of that you know like just kind of cool you know release some of this mm. and then no, it's just the feeling is feeling doing what feeling does mm. And the really significant thing is, since everything does give feeling, even right view has a feeling associated with it. You know, it says the Buddha says even there is a feeling associated with the development of right view. It's a sort of steadying feeling. You, know, you contact something, and something lines up. You feel you're in line. You're, you're steadied. And that feels good. So we're not dismissing feeling, but just being able to differentiate, not just the haphazard stimulation, you know, but a bit more discerning. And I like to just be inspired rather than stimulated. <laughs> you know, that which gives rise to a sense of inspiration, which is a heart movement, or calmed or cooled, that's a or welcomed, you know, that which gives rise to wholeful dhammas, you know, they can be felt and they have their effect. And they tend to establish particular heart patterns. What do I mean? I mean, you know, this this feeling connections, what we get establish. I go to that place where I, you know, I go every Friday night for a, one of those, yeah. Or, or I start to expect you to give me a feeling, <laughs> and I get disappointed you didn't give me that feeling. So it establishes certain patterns of expectation, yeah, and and need. I, I always get my feel good from that morning cup of coffee and having a chat. That's, that's gone, I feel a bit lost and, you know, because so my patterns aren't being followed. Mm. And then it's relying upon circumstance, which is, is changeable. So really, a wise person doesn't want to have to depend on that, since it can go. And we'll go. 
So the feeling based on right view, that can stay. The feeling based upon living with integrity, that can stay. Feeling, you know, that doesn't have to go. So you're looking at the feeling qualities that are generated, felt, and these build, rebuild the heart. There's a heart that's all its feeling connections, all its feeling associations are hooked up to circumstances, is not very secure. And it also becomes like almost addictive. We don't know where to get our feel good unless that 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 happens. And then you know, and then I've got to have more of it. More of the success feeling, more of that feeling that comes from success. Or praise or you know, whatever. And then it, it constantly a little bit more, a little bit more. And clearly this is a not just a personal issue but a global issue when we see the huge imbalances of wealth because wealth, money can, can give us a token that can give rise to the ability to have what you want, get what you want, have good feeling because you begin to be able to manipulate the circumstances that you live within. Yeah. I can have the comforts, the pleasure, the success, the power. I got, the, I got the resources to do so. And then you get, then people get narcissistic, loss of moral concern, loss of integrity. Mm-hmm. That's why the Buddha is saying, you know, there's a hazard in pleasure, sense pleasure. Seeing the hazard, you withdraw from it. You know, there's got to be another way to do this. Got to be another way to feel comfortable. Mm. Mm. So, so the feeling, you know, contemplating that, the rising and passing, and the skillful and unskillful states that they give rise to from external situations. So you go to a, perhaps you go to a place where people are living harmoniously, or there's a sense of integrity and welcome, you feel quite inspired. And one of our recommendations is an external base, internally. Look into, well, okay, that wasn't so good, but look into the fact that you cultivated harmlessness or generosity or integrity or kindness. Look at those aspects to get the, the gladness. It's not about self-congratulation, it's about feeding the heart. If you don't feed it, it's going to, get pretty sick <laughs> and withered and if there's nothing inspiring around you or nothing you, well, that you can't find inspiration in then you've got to go back to that this practice of recollection I do live with integrity sometimes I get it wrong but it's my intention notice when that quality of heart is present and get a sense of that. So learning to be discerning. Mm. A lot of these mindfulness are often associated with mindfulness of breathing. It's a very standard practice because the feeling of mindfulness of, of breathing is a... you don't have to work at it. <laughs> I mean... If you get around the right weight, everybody breathes. It's uh, no questions asked. How good you are, how bad you are, breathing happens. But certainly, because it's affecting and touching into your nervous system, you'll certainly notice agitation, stress, pressure. When that occurs, forcefulness, harshness. And you begin to also notice mindfulness of breathing you really use the breathing to provide that steady rhythmic template that saturates the field of the body the sense of having a body all of it can be experienced as somehow subtly touched 
could be just steadied, it could be just opened, relaxed, or something in your diaphragm softens, or something in your throat opens up, or some nagging agitation begins to ease up in the field. Because your breathing crosses at a boundary that really doesn't exist. A boundary between the heart and the body, which we tend to, you know, mind is separate from body. Well, in breathing, that's not, you know, what you think, what your attitudes are, is definitely going to affect your breathing. Mm. No? You know, how many people put pressure on themselves to try to get their breathing right, to be mindful of it, and they get tense and tight, right? How many people got to go, I've got to do some system, count the breaths, da 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 and, get, and they get into this feeling, I can't do it, you know what I mean? That's number nine. Wait, how many numbers is that? See, you know, really approaching it in a non, you haven't entered the breathing, you you have an idea of it. You haven't entered it. It's one of the references to to Dhamma and to Samadhi and to Dhamma practices you enter. You know, when we look at words like patipano, it doesn't translate as rightly practiced, which is okay, but more accurately means pano you, you go into. You go into the goodness. You enter it, you immerse yourself in it, which is slightly different when you really go into the breathing and let the body do the breathing and tune into it. And you can see in, in the Anapanasati how that segues from what seems to be body through this Kaya Sankara nervous system into qualities that we associate with emotion, like rapture and joy and ease and calming the jitta. How did that happen? Because the two are mutually dependent. So in gladdening the body at this level, at the nervous energy level, if you like, or somatic level, naturally the heart is gladdened. And if we are grumpy, compressed, stressed, then that's going to have its effects too. So this is a great way to really check in what's happening uh, and how things can be freed up. Breathe through the irritation. Breathe through the disappointment. Take a few breaths through the goodwill so the goodwill becomes Feds, feeds into the body. You get the brightening effect. You get the brightening effect of honesty. Whole body begins to open to that. Mm. Yeah. So when the people are inspired by the summoners because your countenance is serene, your faculties are serene and bright. And you're living on a bunch of straw, eating scraps of food and rags? I don't get it. (laughs) Well, this is how it happens. Those things we may regard as ideas, like, you know, do good, refrain from doing evil and so forth, are actually energies. And you, when you get that reference, yeah, you feel it when you feel that kind of hard, tight, pushy, or, or, or kind of slightly devious quality. You can sense them moving through. And then when things are lined up, there's a sense of strength. This is integrity. Right? You know, it's not an idea anymore. It's actually a value that holds you up. And that's how it is. That's how 
Tibetan monks survived years in Chinese concentration camps, being tortured, watching their friends being abused, just by holding that qualities, not just the idea of compassion, but feeling that deep, steady energy that can touch, be touched by the pain and not run away from it. Mm. So, and what holds that frame of reference, sati, and stay on the topic. It's not about rushing off and judging other people, which is, you can do that, but that's not going to get you out of dukkha. It's not about wondering how you got in such a mess, that may be useful, but it's not going to get you out of it now. Wondering when it's going to finish, that's not going to help either. <laughs> Hold it. Carefully breathing through. The qualities, the energies, the felt energies that shifting through the system begin to take away the retraction, contraction, scatteredness of the chitta. When, it, when pain hits it, particularly psychological pain. As I said, third satipatthana, affected by love, by affected by hate, noticing the chitta contracted, the contracted chitta, defended, shut down, clamped, gripping, Obsessive, the scattered chitta, distracted, blown out, all bits and pieces rushing off here and there. The scattered, noticing the undistracted, uncontracted chitta. Uh, then, how does that, you know, sensing that, the, the ability to the, take these particular forms, knowing this. Through the knowing of it, mindfulness of it, the chitta. And step out. And clearly, if one's wise, one can begin to review those uh, what's, what, where this is, how this is being triggered. But for now, we want to just take that coming out. Get the arrow out of the body first, then figure out where it came from, and who shot it and why. Mm. Now, of course, we mentioned mindfulness of breathing because it's such a main theme topic, but again, not to just think this is the one and only. In the Satipatthana, the Buddha is saying we're walking, standing, moving, leaning, scratching, and uh, so forth. Just noticing feeling, noticing jitta is still there. Jitta is still there. Are we acting as we go around our duties, distracted, contracted, scattered, intense, or are we just, okay, are we handling the feelings that come externally, you know? Somebody's let me down, this is broken down, da da da, da. internally, I don't know what to do, I'm confused. Yeah. And those, just hold feelings like this. It's independent of, of, you know, it creates a person, but it isn't created by a person. It creates the personal profiles, and you want to, that's why you want to liberate yourself from those personal profiles those are the limitations how to be with something that you don't quite know what to do I think it's really good practice okay I feel confused I feel like an idiot I feel I don't know what I'm capable good bring it on let's stay with this <laughs> settle the feeling and just start you know looking into it Keep a sense of integrity and clarity, and we'll, we'll work it out. Also. We're as good as we can be. Yeah.
You don't have to be an expert in life. You just want to be as good as you can be. And trust that in all things. Do your walking, walking meditation, just do it like, like walking. It's not some kind of set-piece robotics. It's about feeling the most comfortable, steady way in which you're walking can give rise to, you know, skillful, comfortable feeling. Comfortable is also based upon mindfulness, non-hurry, non-obsessive, you know. They could create all kinds of lists around that, but where you need that sensitivity to recognize when you're pushing too hard or you're just going automatic, very common in meditation practice to go automatic because we're doing the same thing over and over again. And that's a, that's a deadener. So we're you know, tuning into the body is never automatic in itself. It's always now animated. This is really getting to sense that in the body. Because we are so domesticated in our social lives to really bring back the nature, the naturalness of the body in walking. And then you listen up to what's happening, feel into what's happening, steady yourself on that regular here we go, one step at a time, feeling to it, the balancing of that. It just helps to, you know, walk through the, the programming. Particularly walking, where always the program is to get somewhere, of course. But in walking meditation, we switch off that program. We're not getting anywhere. And then the qualities of referring to the natural form, the animate form, sati, sampajano, clearly, fully sensing, fully sensing what's occurring, using that certainly repeating theme how a body walks or breathes as like a template which you can steady the jumping or the jittering or the dragging of energy and mind. They become smooth. This is collectedness. You know, Buddha said I I can cultivate his jhana, deep absorption while walking up and down. So he's not oblivious to the sense world, just not going into it. Externally, internally, cover the field, know what's to be followed, what's not to be followed. This is where your wisdom bears fruit and is to be cultivated. Let's take some time for direct practice. <coughs> 